Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. Ryan Tansom here. Today's episode is an awesome, awesome episode. I have Dean Newelny on the show, who is the CEO of Halftime Institute. And Halftime Institute is an organization that stemmed from Bob Buford's book, Halftime. And Bob's book that I read was one of the main crucial points of me turning to this journey, starting this podcast called The Life After Business. And the book's premise is about moving from success to significance. And I think there's this thing in entrepreneurs and business owners as we as we strive to achieve and grow and build our companies and our empires that there's there other variables in our life that do matter. There's even you if you grow this huge media empire like Bob did, there still is the void of significance. And so Bob's process in his book and the Institute is how to move from success to significance. And Dean's got his own story about how he was successful in today's culture, but still there was something missing. Heavily involved in Wall Street and the grind and the chase for returns, he still found himself pondering life and staring out the window, wondering what's next and what's this all for. And so between Dean, the Halftime Institute, and Bob's mission about what is it that we strive for as people, what is it that we strive for for passion, purpose, and community, and how do we move from a life of success to significance? And at one point, there was this assumption that there was a time, you know, whether it was, hey, you know what, I'm in my 40s, 50s, or 60s, I have now created a huge empire of a business. I now need to sell everything and either go golf all day long or join a nonprofit board or hand out lunches to the homeless. And the Halftime Institute and Dean and the people that are associated with this organization are challenging that and saying, you know what, we can actually use our companies or our success as a platform to significance because we've got cash flow, we've got connections, we've got people, and we can start shifting our focus and growing margin in our life of balance to be redistributing our energy into things that actually can change the community, to change the world. So again, I love this conversation that I end up having with Dean. I could have gone for hours. Without further ado, please enjoy the interview with Dean. Dean, how are you doing today? Doing great, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Super excited you were able to make it. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, you know, your book uh, or the book that you are associated with through the halftime is is one of the ones that are it's on my website near and dear to my heart because I read it after we had sold the company. And your involvement of halftime is very interesting. So can you give our listeners a little bit of a background of where you came from, how you ended up at halftime? Sure. Uh, I was introduced to Bob Buford, who wrote the book Halftime, in 1999. I saw an interview with him. And uh, to back up prior to that, um, my, my whole focus in life as a young man was 
to go out and make as much money as I possibly could and buy as many toys as I possibly could. So when I heard Bob Buford get interviewed in 1999 and talk about this idea of going from success to significance, I thought, well, that's great for you, Bob, and all your friends, but I'm not in that mindset. My mindset is I'm in the financial services industry. I'm trying to make as much money as possible. And I thought the scorecard was the guy who dies with the most toys wins. So I'm all about accumulating things. So at that point in my life, I wasn't ready to accept this idea of going from success to significance. But in the early 2000s, as I started to become actually more successful and, and get promoted and, and make more money and, and all those things and accumulate things, I just started to realize that, wow, there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to life than this. And really in 2006, I was sitting on the 40, 40th floor of our office building, which was my office, looking out over downtown Chicago. At that time, I ran a business that had 13 offices, $100 million in business, and we had four homes and all this stuff. And I looked out the window and I said, God, there has to be more to life than this. There just has to be more to life than this. And ironically, a week or two later, a buddy of mine at work called and said, would you be interested in doing a study with us? And I said, sure, what are you guys studying? He said, we're gonna study this halftime book. I said, well, fantastic. I heard that guy get interviewed in 1999. Uh, I'd love to do that. And I'm kind of in that season of life. I'm trying to figure out what's next. And uh, we, we called it the halftime huddle. We actually read each chapter in the book and then we would study it. We had 10 to 15 men that got together every two weeks to go through the book together. But when I started going through the book, I realized that if halftime is there or if it's not, it's time for me to figure out what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? Because I was at a point where the next promotion, the next pat on the back, the next raise, whatever it was at the time, just wasn't that important to me anymore. So uh, I called the Halftime Institute down here in Dallas and they said, why don't you come down for our program? And uh, I came down for what we call the Halftime Institute launch program. No idea that I would ultimately work for halftime. I came just <laughs> to try to figure out my own life and uh, went through the program and Bob Buford said a few things that day that really stuck with me. He said, you know, it's not really going from success to significance. It's really going from success to significance to ultimate surrender. So uh, I have a Christian faith and we believe that, you know, we get our assignment from God and when he said ultimate surrender, that meant making eye contact with God and trying to figure out what are my gifts and what are my talents and what are my passions and really what does God have in store for me for the rest of my life. And that was all new to me because I'm a type A personality and I loved control and this whole idea of surrender was, was brand new. So fast forward uh, past that, we, uh, Lisa and I, that's my wife, hired a coach here at halftime and he guided us for the next year and a half, and one thing led to another, and over the next two years, there was an opportunity that opened up at halftime. They were looking for a managing director. 
uh, here in Dallas. We lived in Chicago at the time. And uh, my wife, one night, my wife knew of two places. She knew of Chicago and Orange County, California. <laughs> Those were the two places. And she woke up one night at 3.30 in the morning, and she said, that gentleman from Halftime is coming to name you the CEO of Halftime, and we're moving to Dallas, Texas. And two months later, that's how it happened, Ryan. I ended up uh, in Dallas the end of 2009 to beginning of 2010. How cool! I I love the story. There's so many different places I want to I want to pick into it. But but before we do that, I want to. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an overview of what is halftime? You know the the book, the the premise of uh, success to significance, um, and because I know you explained it throughout your story. But why don't you give everybody a little bit of an overview of what that means? Yeah, I'll just quickly give you a little bit of background. Bob Buford, who founded our organization uh, way back in 1995, was getting mentored by a gentleman named Peter Drucker. Many of you probably know who he is. He's a management guru, and he was Bob's mentor. And Bob was at this stage of life where he was very successful and made a fair amount of money and felt the same as I did, and that was, you know, there has to be more to life than this. And Peter encouraged him to write a book and he said well what would I write on he said well hey Bob it looks like you're gonna go from success to this idea of significance you want to do something with the rest of your life why don't you call it success to significance and maybe actually name the book halftime because you like football and uh, <laughs> so that's how the book started and Bob really wrote the book about his own life with no expectations that anybody would read it or buy it and over the course of the next three to four years, he was getting inundated with calls from not only here in the United States, but around the world of these folks who were saying to themselves, you know, Bob, I feel like you do. I'm sitting here in my office, really successful or in my plant or wherever I'm at. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm here, but I don't really feel fulfilled. There has to be more to life than this. So he started getting inundated with calls. What does this idea of going from success to significance really mean? So that's how halftime the organization started. We hired a, a few folks and then uh, in the mid 2000s, it became such a movement, not only here in the States, but around the world that folks were flying into Dallas to meet with Bob and the team. And we ultimately put together uh, programming around this idea of going from success to significance and um, over the years it's morphed and changed quite a bit but really the program now at halftime is of course it starts with the book and then there's a, a launch program down here in Dallas where you spend two days here really figuring out what are your strengths what are your passions how are you wired at the core? What are you really good at? But what are you really passionate about? What do you want to do to make a difference going forward? And then there's one-on-one -on -one coaching throughout one year to help you really figure out what is this next season of life for you? What does it look like? So the book started in 1995. It's now been out there around 20 years. And uh, we have exposure in a number of different co countries, including Australia and Singapore, South Africa, Sweden, and elsewhere. And uh, the idea of going from success to significance um, is changing. 
it, years ago, it used to be this age group from 40 to maybe, or 45 to 65, they got to this point of being really successful and felt like, well, I want to do more with my life going forward. So then they would identify significance, whatever that would look like for them, and we help people with that. But now, 2016, 2017 is very different. We have folks as young as upper 20s and as old as in their 80s figuring out what is my halftime. Halftime is no longer this 45 to 65 age category it's now a season of life so going from success to significance is different and that is that most people now either want to be significant right away or they want to be successful and significant which is fantastic but it has really changed over the years so so now what we're seeing is people are going through this program is that we have a lot of a wider spread, if you will, age-wise, and that the younger generation, mainly the millennials, are saying, hey, I don't want to be successful and then be significant. I want to be significant and successful right now. So that's that's halftime, Ryan. That's I just that's super interesting because, and you actually uh, piggyback, I'm going to piggyback off one of your ideas because, you know, one of the questions I had for you is, is halftime a blip in time, right? Is it is it like a certain age? And I think he answered that where it, I think when Bob wrote the book and a lot of, and kind of the origins, it was kind of this, hey, I've, no, I've now like had my career. I no longer need to keep driving that financial scorecard up. Now I can focus. But it seems to me like, as you, what you alluded to, that it's more of this overall mentality of the way you approach life. It really is, and even to add to that, well, let me just answer that. You're right, it, it's no longer this age category from 45 to 65, it's a season of life. So when someone sees halftime, they think, okay, well, that makes sense, it's midlife, but that's not the case anymore. It can be at any age. And like I said, we had someone come through at 83 years old. The other thing is, it used to be where it was mainly men going through our program. It's now 60-40 men to women. And if you talk to stay-at-home mothers, they'll say to you, listen, uh, I'm significant now. You know, I'm not going to go from success to significance because I'm already living my life of significance. I have children and I have all these things at home that I'm taking care of. So halftime has changed quite a bit over the years. So, um you know what, what you had mentioned uh, that a lot of business owners because that was kind of Bob's uh, background you yourself ran a, a, a large firm and a lot there was you know the first part of the crowd was a lot of business owners and that is generally who our listeners are and so one of the questions that I've got so as a business owner the business is so tied into their identity and who they are and where does this transit, you know, what happens to kind of like have that aha moment? You know, I mean, do you see that it's a triggering event versus some more self-discovery? Explain kind of what you've seen around that whole awakening. Yeah. Uh, so it happens in a variety of ways. Some are good and some are not good. And what I've seen with many business owners is they get to this point in their life where something bad has happened. It's a health issue. 
it's a divorce, it's a death, it's a pink slip, it's something like that, that ultimately triggers them to say, you know what, there has to be more to life than this, I got to get my life figured out. And then they reach out to halftime. And that does happen quite often. But also, it can be a positive event. It can be a positive event. It, it can be a, a, a liquidation event, a sale of the company, um, a new marriage. And folks want to really figure out, what is, well, who am I at the core? How can I live a life of significance where I really... Um, focus on my wife and I focus on my children and making those the best relationships that we possibly can have. Um, so that's another situation. So it can be negative and it can be positive. For me and for many others, it's really getting to this point of, in life that we call smoldering discontent. <laughs> Interesting. Smoldering discontent. And honestly, I didn't know what that meant. I And I had it when I was in the marketplace and I was sitting in my office and I was like, what am I feeling here? I, I, I should be really happy. I have a beautiful wife, two great kids and all this stuff and money and success, but I don't. And uh, when I got to halftime, they said, you know, you were in this this uh, season of smoldering discontent. So for a lot of business owners, I think you get to this point where it's like, what else can I do? How much is enough? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's a question that many people come here and ask, how much is enough? So, Ryan, it's a variety of different things that ultimately lead one to go through the halftime program. Well, I just I think that's really interesting of how you guys have actually tagged that feeling, right? So it's I think that there's a lot of people in our audience that can relate to that because this why am I not happy I should be? Everybody in a society or all my friends or all my family tell me I should be happy, but I'm not. And they don't know why. And not only that, but like it like how do you go tell someone and you probably have experiences like I have all this stuff and everybody else was trying to strive for what you have. How do you go tell them that you're not happy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's interesting because what we're finding is that in many cases, those individuals, men and women, who have a lot of stuff, are in most cases the most unhappy. And and it it goes back to the old adage that those things don't bring you happiness. It's, it's relationships, it's uh, your spouse, it's your kids, it's, it, it's those, it's relationships. And what happens is many times folks will come to halftime because they, 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 they're running so hard to be, so, to be as successful as they possibly can that they get to ultimate burnout. We have a situation here in Texas with a gentleman who ran a very, very large insurance company um, and he got to this point in his life where he ended up walking away from the insurance company after being very successful. Well, that's the good news. The bad news is he's on his 3,000 acre ranch down in Austin without his wife and without his children because they left him because he was so focused on his business that he forgot the things that are most important in life. Yeah, so, there's so much truth in that too because I mean, you and unfortunately it happens when you wake up one day and it's already done you know what i mean you're not, you can't go back and and redo that stuff all the time 
Yeah, we talk in the halftime book about something called the sigmoid curve. And many listening will know what the sigmoid curve is when it comes to the product cycle uh, of a particular product. But in many cases, if you look at the sigmoid curve, which is kind of an S laying on its side, when you start something new, initially you go down because you're brand new, you're learning things, you're stumbling through trying to figure it out like I was when I started in the financial services business. I didn't know what in the world I was doing, so uh, I struggled through the first two or three years trying to figure it out. Well, lo and behold, I started to figure it out, and all of a sudden now we're going uh, upwards on the S and things are good. I got married, had kids, uh, started getting successful, started getting promoted, started making more money, started accumulating more things. Well, the healthiest spot to be when making this transition is that right before you get to the top of the S where it starts to turn over again. Unfortunately, many, we, we have people come to halftime who are there but we also have many who come on the other side of that S where it's starting to go down. And that is where you have the issues with marriages and kids and health and all these other things that I mentioned. So again, people from all different uh, walks of life in all different seasons of life experience this whole halftime phenomenon. So, you know, when you're talking about that curve too, it's, it, it, in the in the entrepreneur's life cycle or the the journey as an, as a business owner it's counterintuitive because when you're killing it and when you're making a bunch of money and things are going well that's actually the, that's kind of that spot right where i should start to figure out where this goes cuz you've got time and you've got money and you've got energy right and those are the three things that you if you don't have them you, it's very difficult to make crucial introspective decisions yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, I think just to be crystal clear, there is nothing wrong with being really successful. I mean, there is nothing wrong with it. It's fantastic. But it all is really wrapped up in balance, right? Your, your life needs to be in balance. And what we see more often than not is that life gets way out of balance. It's where the business overtakes everything else. And uh, your wife or husband and children are pushed to the side. And then it's, you look back and say, what happened to the last 10 years with my son and daughter? I don't even know who they are. I mean, we've had people attend our program whose children um, identified in one case another man at a soccer game that that person thought was their dad. No way. <laughs> and that's the truth because he was just never around. And so it's interesting and important for me to stress that being successful, I, a lot of people get to halftime and think in their mind, well, you know what, I have to give up all my success. I have to stop making money and I have to move from this idea of success to significance. And just to be crystal clear, that is absolutely not the case. 70% of folks who come to halftime actually stay right where they're at, but they build margin in their time, talent, and treasure to figure out, okay, how can I build some margin so I can have a really healthy lifestyle where I'm really successful as an entrepreneur, business owner, 
where I'm really a fantastic husband or wife, and where I'm really a fantastic, fantastic <clears throat> father or mother, uh, and also maybe carve out some time to do something that I really love that brings me significance. And what's interesting about that, Ryan, is when people start thinking about that, in a lot of cases, they think they have to do something crazy. Like, I got to <laughs> go to Africa, right? <laughs> well, we have folks in, in the program that absolutely love to fly. They're pilots. So they work for a company called Angel Flight, taking terminally ill children from hospital to hospital. We have folks who are professional fishermen who take children and handicapped kids fishing. We have golfers. So it's really identifying what you love to do and building margin in your life in order to go do that to make a different in, difference in one's life. Well, I, I think you hit on some huge points there because there's this idea that, and you, you mentioned it, where you just sell your company and then you're going to be handing out meals for the homeless forever or just you have to sell everything and join a board and I think that it's not to sell or not to sell or it's not to only do nonprofit or not and there's this balance and I like how you worded it as as margin and there's there's things that we've been telling our listeners is that you can actually build your business correctly and then actually freeze up your time so you don't have to sell and you could start building this second half while you're actually doing the same things at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, in many cases, the best platform for you to serve on is the platform in front of you. I mean, if you have a business that has three or 400 or 50 or 20 people, it doesn't matter. You know, the first thing to do is to take a step back and say, how can I maybe serve here the folks that work with me and make their life better. And I'll give you a few examples. We have a gentleman down here who owns a car dealership and his his passion is to identify folks in the car dealership that work for him and help sponsor and support the ministries and nonprofits that they're passionate about. So every month they identify a different nonprofit or ministry that an employee is passionate about and that the whole, uh, all the folks that work there kind of gather around it and support that. So, I mean, that that is just one example. And we have others where folks will carve out time <clears throat> at, their, at their businesses for folks to be able to go out and serve in areas that they care about. So we have many that do that. We had a gentleman who worked for Lowe's and he looked out and thought, well, I want to go and do something that really makes a difference. I want to help the homeless. Well, what he didn't realize is that just in his region for Lowe's, there were four to 500 people who were living in their cars and working at Lowe's. And he realized, Holy I can cow. serve those people. Those people need, need me. So, you know, there is, when you carve out margin at, your work environment um, and you really take a step back, there is most likely something there that, that is very passionate to you in an area that you can identify and go and serve in. 
I, I love the way you guys identified it as margin, and it kind of ties into that balance too. Because I, in, and I, I think I heard Lloyd uh, talk a little bit more in depth in one of his speeches about the car dealership story because this this theory of the platform, whether it's your big corporate job or in our case for our listeners, it's their businesses, you have cash flow. <laughs> you whether yeah. like if you want to do something significant, having additional and bigger cash flow is always a plus, right? <laughs> That is exactly right. Don't leave what you're doing until you have exhausted every idea that you could think of that that is associated with that. Because in a lot of cases, folks get to this point in life and they think they have to make this incredible shift. Well, when you make the incredible shift, if you leave the platform you you were on, first of all, you leave the ministry opportunity and all the folks that you maybe could serve there that you already have built relationships with. But secondly, that's, as you said, Ryan, that's where the cash flow comes from. You're gonna need cash flow to fulfill your second half dreams. So it's important to take a look right where you're at and see if there's a fit there. And it wasn't that like car dealership, didn't that gentleman, I believe, want to sell because he was that was his seismic shift that he was going to make? He'd just sell and go do whatever was going to be fulfilling. But then after a bunch of soul searching or even practical searching, didn't he, that, he ended up keeping it. Was that kind of the story? That's exactly the story. I, I have one other story I'll share really quickly is we had a very, very successful gentleman who was one of the top financial advisors in the country for Smith Barney when it existed and he came here and was just completely miserable. And uh, when I sat down with him, I said, what in the world is wrong? He said, you know, Dean, I thought this whole idea of going from success to significance meant you had to be like Mother Teresa and take up <laughs> poverty and give up everything that I love to do in order to go and serve or go into the nonprofit or whatever. And I said, no, 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 you don't need to do that. I said, your platform of 1,500 clients that he had, that was a platform for you to maybe go and serve or do whatever with you, with the clients that you that you have. And uh, boy, it was like a breath of fresh air to him. He uh, looked at me and said, I never knew that this whole idea of going from success to significance meant that I could continue to stay where I'm at, make money, and, and serve the people that I've been working with. So now he's back working with Raymond James and has set up his business in such a way that he serves his clients. So like, where did this myth come from that you have to just sell all your stuff and be Mother Teresa? Yeah, I think when you read the halftime book, I think just when, when someone says, hey, I want to go from success to significance, I want to go and make a difference, I want to go leave a legacy, um, you know, right away that conjures up these thoughts that I got to go and take a vow of poverty or make some <laughs> shift and go to Africa. And uh, I really also think if you read the halftime book, which now over a million people have read, and I don't know how many times it's been handed around, probably two or three million, but, but when you read the book and you read Bob's story, and remember it is his life story, uh, he didn't expect people to really read it. Bob made this shift from the marketplace. He was the CEO of Buford Broadcasting in the cable TV business to the nonprofit, so he left that. 
Now that took him time. It took him nine years to ultimately make that transition. But when they read the book, I think two things pop out. Number one is, well, I'm not ready to leave the marketplace and go into the nonprofit or ministry or something else. And that's fine. Most don't do that. Like I said, 70% stay right where they're at. But I think the second piece or the second thing that you pull out of the book is Bob was very, very wealthy. And a lot of a lot of folks read the book and say, well, that's good for him. He was really, really wealthy. And uh, that's not for me. Well, I would argue that all of us have this burning desire to be significant. You don't have to be wealthy. It just so happens that Bob was wealthy. But everyone has this burning desire to be significant in their life. There is a verse in the Bible in Ephesians 2.10 that says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. So there is a plan and a design for all of us to go and live this life of significance. You don't have to be wealthy, number one. And secondly, you don't have to leave the marketplace. Um, so a couple questions for you then is, you know, I, I believe that a lot of owners and entrepreneurs are so passionate about what they do. They've kind of, it, how do you, how do you practically start to figure out what significance means for you? And I, and, and I'll, I want to tee you up because there's a, there's some things in it and there's some exercises in the book that kind of walk you through that. And I think that's one of the things about the halftime to, and we don't have to go too much into your technical program, but this isn't some just, hey, everybody sits around in a circle and you know hopefully some, some idea pops in your head. There's like practical ways you can figure out what the second half of your career or where this significance might lie for yourself, right? Yeah. A lot of folks do it on their own, and, and, and uh, again, I'm biased, I, uh, obviously, but I tried to do it on my own. It was a disaster. <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, you know, when I did it on my own, I, I went home and spoke to my wife, Lisa, and said, I think we're supposed to start orphanages in Africa, the Dominican <laughs> Republic, and Haiti. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't it, uh, but that's what I came up with. So... You know, this whole idea of really taking a pause in life and really spending time figuring out your strengths, your passions, your gifts, who are you at the core, what motivates you, what makes you sad, glad, mad, uh, is critically important to begin the process. Starting with the book is a fantastic place to start. But I would argue that if you just do that and try to do it on your own, it's typically a disaster and you go down the wrong path. The most important pieces, believe it or not, are one, to have someone side by side with you walking you through this journey. Because what we do is we help people really figure out where are you when it comes to your spouse where are you when it comes to your health where are you when it comes to your children you know and we go through this assessment at the very beginning so it's very in-depth so that the, the walking with someone who can mentor you and has been through it and has been a coach at halftime for instance is is in my opinion the most valuable thing that you can do for yourself the second is to do it in a group and um, you know we really think it's critically important to have a cohort 
to identify others that are going through it uh, as you are, who are peers, where you can learn from each other. And it's very fascinating to see how quickly bonded these cohorts become with each other and how they stay together for years and they kind of help each other through it. So what typically happens is that folks will say, okay, I need to check this box. And I hate to say it that way, but it's the truth. I need to check this box where I'm going to go do something so I can feel good about myself. And then they go and identify something at their church or the soup kitchen or, and all those are important. Don't get me wrong. They're very important. But a C-level executive, for instance, and just using that as an example, to go and serve in a soup kitchen, very admirable, but, but it may not be the best use of his talents and resources, and it may not motivate that person. So the important thing is to try to partner with a coach and a cohort, but find something that's sustainable. We care about the next 30 years of your life, not the next three. Well, and yeah, and I think that soup kitchen example is, you know, as a business owner that's used to growing, hiring staff, winning clients, there's this affirmation, there's this flow of of gratitude and, and happiness that you get from succeeding like that. And you can take that into these other second half careers or second half roles where you're doing something more significant, but you're getting the feedback that you're like that you're growing or you're you're accomplishing stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's just really critically important for us to identify how can we use our eight-cylinder engine to do good and to make a difference instead of using our four-cylinder engine. And that is that in many cases, we are wired in such a way and have a lot of gifts and talent to, talents and abilities that you can really make a major impact. But folks settle for going and doing things that are maybe, I don't know how to describe it other than saying maybe not using their full resources just to feel good about themselves. But I would argue that if you go and really embrace what you're called to do and use all your resources and talents, there is no better feeling than to be in that sweet spot. So what are some of the obstacles that you see in order to, to start this journey? Yeah, I think first of all, it's the whole idea of fear. Uh, fear is for sure a big one. It's like, well, what does this really mean? If I truly get to a point where I say, I'm going to surrender and do whatever God's calling me to do, what does that mean? It, does that mean I'm going to stay in my business? Does that mean I'm going to Africa? Does that mean I'm going to stay in my city? What does that mean? So I think there's fear. And in many cases, it's unfounded because uh, I, it, we have seen over and over and over, over 20 years that very rarely, if ever, are you put in a situation that is uncomfortable. God will never put someone in a role that's just uncomfortable for them, uh, that isn't really a good fit for them, that could be disruptive for them. So I think fear is is a, a big deal. The second is uh, when it comes to the spouse, and that could be the husband or the wife. Is the husband or wife on board? Many people get to this season of life saying there has to be more to life than this. 
and when you present it to your spouse, it immediately provides insecurity in what does this mean for us and is this another one of your harebrained ideas? <laughs> You're just going to go running and doing something. So it can cause disruption in the marriage. And uh, I had a little of that when I started looking at making a transition until my wife, Lisa, really understood what it meant to make this transition and everything would still be fine. So I think the spouse is another you know, obstacle in some cases that you got to work through. And the other thing that a lot of folks don't think about, but is a major obstacle is it's really, who am I? It's an identity crisis. It's I'm used to being called the CEO of whatever organization or the owner of whatever organization I am now running. And now I'm going to make this transition. Who am I? And not only who am I for me, but who am I for my wife and for my kids? Because even when I went through this, I was a managing director at Wells Fargo Advisors. When I was making the transition, Lisa looked at me and was like, now, what do you, who are, what do you do? What is this? <laughs> yeah, right. My dad's 86 and I've been here for seven years and he still calls me and asks me, what am I doing? <laughs> Identity is a, is a pretty major obstacle also. So, wouldn't you, um, to go back to your first one, which of the fear, and don't you think that, yes, there's a ton of fear, but also you have to be comfortable being slightly uncomfortable to kind of go back to your S curve, right? Because there is, you're going to be uncomfortable as you're doing this searching, and, and it might not be the first role, the first thing you do is not going to be the, the, the first or the, the final thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, Bob Buford has had 16 S-curves, so he's tried 16 different things. So the first thing is for sure not the the, the last one in, in most cases. And Ryan, you're absolutely right. There is a level of uncomfortableness. I would argue that if you're not a little uncomfortable, then you're not stretching yourself far enough to really figure out what is next. Um, and I would also argue that if you don't get yourself into that little, a little bit of that uncomfortable zone, you won't really reap the major rewards of walking into something brand new that is designed for you. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, and then uh, back onto the, the spouse and what are some of the things that you've seen people do and how to have that conversation? Cause I, I, I've seen the, the alternative, which is they do you have this entire soul searching by yourself and people do it even when they start a business right they've got this vision um i heard this quote once where man has a vision and then brings his wife on board and there it's not a it's not a unified vision right so how do you make that a unified vision and how do you have that conversation and and i, I guess if you follow what i'm saying yeah i think the quote that you just mentioned uh we see that and it's a disaster when you go about it that way. So it's really critically important, I know this sounds so obvious, but to have open, transparent dialogue with your spouse and your children. Um, And I know that sounds obvious, but you would be surprised at how many people come to our program and have not even really mentioned to their wife what they're going through or what they're thinking of, or husband, Um, And then we get to an event that we call Thriving Families, where the husband and wife come together and the spouse will say, I had no idea what they were doing. (laughs) I 
just thought it was another one of their ideas. And, and it's a, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You need to be equally yoked. When I came here in 2008, I felt this incredible need to make a transition and do something different. My wife's seven years younger than I am, and uh, she wasn't quite where I was at at that time. And Bob Buford said to me that day, Dean, stop. Don't even move forward. Don't move forward until you're equally yoked. And what, what I learned through that whole process is two things. One is critically, critically important to have open, honest dialogue with my wife, Lisa. Secondly, to be open and honest that things will still be the same within reason and that we're, I'm not putting our family at risk um, spouses like security and they want to know if things are secure and I learned when she was thinking when she heard me thinking about making this transition it immediately equated to risk that we had to get rid of everything change everything and life wouldn't be the same so that was critically important the other thing is we incorporated our children uh, into the conversation very early so they were part of the journey they could get excited about the journey um, and the last thing, and uh, something that we really strive to do with every single person that goes through our program, is one of the very first calls before the person even gets into the program is a call with both the husband and wife and one of our coaches so we can walk them through what this experience is all about. I love it because I mean, like you said, if you don't have if you don't have that partner there, um, and a lot of entrepreneurs they get they get a lot of crazy ideas and then uh, they start them, they stop them, they start them, they stop them. So m making sure that everybody knows it's not just another flashy object. Yeah, I, I think for entrepreneurs mainly, I mean, they're used to like you said, starting and stopping many different things, and I believe the spouse probably trust the you know the the, the entrepreneur. But this is not another business, mm -hmm. and uh, this this is really making a transition in your life. And in in many cases, if you leave what you were doing, it does mean adjusting your lifestyle and making some changes. And and we we did that. So if you were to, it's something that we haven't touched on. If there's one thing you were to leave our listeners with about this idea of halftime, what would it be? Well, I really believe that it, when someone gets to the end of their life, they look back on their life, and if their life is all about accumulating stuff and making money, uh, they're going to get to a point in their life that just feels completely empty. And they're going to say to themselves, what in the world did I do with the gifts and talents and abilities that I had? I made all this money and I had all this stuff, but now I, I, I really didn't leave any sort of impact on the world or on the, the kingdom, as we call it, uh, because we're a, we're a Christian organization. So this idea of going from success to significance and really figuring out what are my strengths, what are my gifts, and what are my passions, and really aligning yourself with God's sweet spot for your life 
will be such an incredible feeling and such an incredible um, reward to you when you get to the end of your life. It reminds me of a funeral I was at a number of years ago for this 80-year-old lady, and I, I couldn't understand why there was 500 people in this church. I didn't know the lady, but I asked the person next to me, why are there so many people at this funeral? And the person said she built into all these kids' lives. She made a difference in their lives. They're all here to honor her. And it hit me that day sitting in that uh, pew. I said to myself, wow, I wonder how many people would show up at my funeral right now. So we do this exercise that's called the 80th birthday exercise. And I'll leave you with this. The 80th birthday exercise is when you come home and your spouse has rented out the local restaurant and 200 of your closest friends and business associates are there and there's a microphone up on the stage. What do you hope each person that walks up there to the microphone says about you and the impact that you've had on their life? Will it be like I was? Oh, he was really good at making money and buying stuff for himself and he's really focused on himself. Or will it be that person impacted my life and made a difference in my life? I love it. You know, there's there's so much technical, strategic stuff that's thrown at uh, entrepreneurs and owners all the time that this is the stuff that really matters. And I think you guys have created a great movement and following to address the stuff that actually matters at the end of the day. And uh, Dean, I appreciate you coming on this show. What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Loved being on. It's halftimeinstitute.org. The best uh, spot to go is on the web, and all the information is there, is there and there's videos and stories uh, on the web that you can watch, and if something uh, piques your interest, make sure to give us a call. Halftimeinstitute.org. Awesome. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan.